Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Now that gaming is growing, how do you lower the barrier to entry, right? Like there's parents who are like, oh, the kid's playing fork knife again. Like, I don't know. And how do you get them to bond? How do you get them to get that experience of like watching football with our parents and our parents teaching us football? Like how do we teach our parents what we're doing on screen? And how do you make it a collaborative experience? My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, my name is Samantha, and I'm a visibility strategist at Samantha Diane CO. I've just started listening to the Women in Tech podcast recently, and with each episode, I feel a sense of empowerment, inspiration, I really enjoy hearing the stories of women from all around the world who are innovating and who are leading in an industry that's typically thought of to be male dominated. I can always count on the Women in Tech podcast to give me that little bit of inspiration that I need to push myself just a little bit further. You can connect with me on Instagram at samanthadiane.co. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. So I produce normally 24 podcast episodes a month. Crazy. And everybody's like, 24? That's like madness. But the thing is, the reason why the podcast exists, why We Are LA Tech exists, and why women in tech exist is because I want to help the most people and empower people around the world. And the only way to celebrate more people is to create more inventory, more real estate to feature them on. And I know that I could incorporate multiple interviews into one episode, but I just want to give everyone their own spotlight. I just I just don't want to share that spotlight for them. You know, I want that spotlight to be just dedicated to them in each episode. So I just would love if you're thinking about starting a podcast to stop for a moment and to think about your why. My why is to empower people to connect people in a really meaningful way. What are you doing with your podcast? Why is it that you want to create this piece of content or your blog or whatever it is or your Twitter? Like, what is the why behind it? Why are you sharing? Why are you showing up to the medium that you're doing it with? Enjoy the next episode. Welcome back to the Women in 
podcast celebrating women in tech around the world. And next, we have an incredible founder from Los Angeles, Sharon. Welcome. Whoop, whoop. Hi. I have been so hyped to interview you for years. You are an outstanding entrepreneur, business person. Just you're all things incredible. This is going to be a really, really exciting conversation. To kick things off, why don't you go ahead, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thank you. Thank you for that awesome introduction. I'm even more hyped about myself now. So I appreciate (laughs) that. And that's what it's all about, right? So it's all about women and women supporting women and us being here for each other. So my name is Sharon Winter, and I'm the COO and co-founder of Esports One. We are a esports exclusive fantasy platform, and we're the ones bringing fantasy to League of Legends, to Fortnite, to Call of Duty, to all the big game titles. And we're giving you elevated experience from what you would have been used to, to a typical fantasy football So for those of us who aren't familiar with that world, can you kind of walk us through it in layman's terms? So there's two worlds. There's the fantasy world and the esports world. And as far as the esports world, it is the wild, wild west. It is competitive video gaming. So if you imagine there's people who there's the people who are sitting on their couch and casually playing games. But then there's the people who show up to an arena every weekend, an arena. And this there's a production that's somewhat like the Ellen show. It'll blow your mind the first time you see it. And they go to watch teams compete, professional teams. These professional players are making $200,000, $300,000 a year. And they're a professional athlete. And they're playing games. And each game is specific to their skill set. So there's the League of Legends teams. And those are the ones we cover the most at Esports One. And League of Legends is a game that's been around for 10 years. And the pro scene within League of Legends involves five players to a team, team against a team, and each player has its own position and they work as a group in order to defeat the other team and basically almost like capture their home base. That's the easiest way to say it. And how long have you been into gaming? So uh, I am a little bit of like an old school. I, I've always been, I've always played up. um Crash Bandicoot and Donkey Kong and kind of Donkey Kong. (laughs) (laughs) And those really aren't, those aren't esports. So the reason why they're not esports, they're not played competitively, like, um, and they're not games of elevated skill, right? You can't, you kind of beat levels on those games. And once you beat all the levels, you got to buy the next game. So esports are very different. Yeah. Esports are different that, uh, in that you can be playing the same game. There's a little bit of modifications here and there, like they improve the game every every so often, every few weeks. But for the most part, it's the same game you're playing over and over and over again. And it's very much so a game of skill. The people who are up on stage, I have a ton of admiration for. And I've really dove into the scene maybe about four years ago when I got to see what kind of production is behind it. I got really excited about the... Um, involvement of tech into the kind of gaming world and what it meant more as a professional scene and no longer as just a basement player. Now, I've been following your journey for a while and I want to get more into esports one. But before I do, I feel like you're the kind of person that anything you touch succeeds. <laughs> and and I just I don't know, that's my perception. And one thing that I want to ask you, and I want to get into your previous companies as well, is When you start a new project slash company slash endeavor, what's your mindset? Like, what are you looking for to think this is something worth my time to pursue? What's your qualifier? 
I love that question because it's constantly crossing my mind. I'm the type of person that has uh, a new idea a week, I'd say. I definitely have a new idea a day, but one that really sticks every week. And I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. Or I'm looking at different products and I'm like, if, you know, if I had the time in the day, would this be something worth pursuing and why? And for me, it really has to do with, do I have the skill set? Is it in my knowledge or in my power to build this out? Like why me almost? That's one key one. And then the second question is like, what's the ultimate goal with this? Is it, you know, is it the next five years of my life? Is it something that is, you know, a community builder? Is it revenue? Is it, is it a side hustle? Like, what are, what what are my motives with this? What do I want to do with this? And accordingly, I divide and kind of allocate my resources, my time, and also kind of put it out there to the community. And when you're having your ideas week after week, and I'm so excited to get into your journey, um, the thing that I really respect about you as a business owner is you always seem to have a clear focus, even though you have worked on different things. They have a beginning, they have an end. And when you're in it, you're in it. And I noticed with some entrepreneurial people on their LinkedIn, it feels like every other week they have a new idea they're pitching. And that's just not you. So how do you take those ideas you have week after week and store them to not get distracted? I think in that direction in that way, right? I've always inspired. And I think it's also in the places I put myself. I think inspiration is a great thing. Exposing yourself, listening to podcasts, audiobooks, big fan. Um, just staying up in sync with the times. It's very important when you're building any company. And if you're that type of person, you also get inspired and it might be inspired about things in your current company. It might be inspired and your mind kind of gets to wander. And for me, it's really fun when my mind wanders just because it lets me take a break. That's the way that I take a break. I don't, I don't really watch TV. I don't have that much time to game these days. When I'm taking a break, it's, you know, all right, how do I take my mind off of current work? Let's get inspired about other things. And sometimes they apply. That's how I kind of connect the dots. So let's talk about your journey because I've alluded to it so much. Before you had this company, and we're definitely going to get back into this one, you had an amazing photography business, but it was more than just photos. It was helping clubs reach their highest revenue. Can you talk about your business before this? And then we're going to get into how you even became involved in the entrepreneurial world in the first place. But I really, really thought your last business was cool as well. So can you tell us a little bit about that? So Esprit, we actually met while I was running my previous business and we've known each other for a long time at this point. And my previous business was Hotpoint, Hotpoint app. And the premise of Hotpoint app is it is a um, digital billboard that lives inside of venues and it has a camera attached to it. Some people might call it a selfie station, but to us, it really was a piece like a landmark, a piece of real estate within a venue, which is a nightclub, a hotel, a restaurant, um, a bar that people could walk up to and interact with. And the product started off with just being exactly that, right? Like a digital landmark that sits inside the venue physically. Um, I built the first prototype by hand. So my background is in industrial design and robotics from Carnegie Mellon. And I built the first prototype, soldered it together. Um, It looked like a bomb on the back end. (laughs) (laughs) There's a really good story behind the first venue we ever installed in. And that was really truly the beginning of it. The beginning of it was, you know, how do we get an MVP? How do we solder this together? How do we hack this together? How do we turn this into um, something to just see if there's something here? And so we built the first version and our very first client was SBE. Um, they're in LA and now they have Miami. They have um, they have several locations now, but um, it was SBE's Greystone Manor. So we installed our first one in there and the product evolved. It ended up becoming a 
complete CRM tool um, for the venues to actually capture or, you know, capture the email addresses and phone numbers of their foot traffic and get a better understanding, you know, if this is associated with a male or female and kind of being able to segment their list all in a really fun way where the user also um, was able to receive a really fun memory out of it. Um, we had an app or we still do. Sorry, this whole business still exists. The app uh, showed you live on a map what was happening all around town in the best nightclubs, bars, hotels, restaurants. If you ever wanted to tune in or see if it's worth going, um, we called it Know Before You Go. And so you can, tap, <laughs> you can tap on a map and see what's going on. And it, it, it was tremendous. It, we were a very small team. We did not raise any money for it. And we got to a point right at the point that I left, we were making um, about $3 million a year off of these light boxes. And this is completely from scratch, from something that we soldered out of our garage, our parents' garage. It's so cool. And that's when I was really attracted to your brain is because there were a lot of selfie companies either popping up or around or something. But I never saw your company as a selfie company. I saw it as a, a data acquisition, a very intelligent data acquisition and like you mentioned, it was like, I see this opportunity in this piece of real estate and here's how to acquire data in a meaningful way for all parties involved. <laughs> we did. We did. We became somewhat of like a marketing agency as well from there. We taught the venues what to do with this. We were the very first. We replaced a lot of the actual walk-in photo booths. Totally. And then how do you make the decision or when do you even make the decision to transition out from that being your main focus into a new company, your gaming company now? For me, Esports One started shortly before I joined in. I met the team, the Esports One team, maybe six months into their kind of founding. Esports One has been around at this point for two and a half years. And what really drew me in was with my background in kind of the tech and industrial design, robotics and human computer interaction, and also in building community, which is what I did at Hotpoint. I saw I saw what they were building and what they had was it was a stats and data focused company that used computer vision to read every stream that's happening on Twitch, on YouTube, no matter where it is. And actually being able to replace the need for a game publisher API. So with no reliance on the game publisher, we can understand and pull whatever data we need in real time. And that is a huge, huge, huge hurdle for the gaming industry and for the growth of the gaming industry. And it's a really interesting application of computer vision and machine learning. And to me, that was very extremely fascinating. It almost swept me off my feet. I wasn't looking. I wasn't, you know, what is my next thing? I, I wasn't curious until this came along. And so I became an advisor. I became an interim COO. And then our CEO, Matt, and I slowly started brainstorming. All right, what do we do with this? Let's go to other businesses. Let's see who actually needs this technology. This is something so valuable that really doesn't exist out there. And we built this tech out of MIT. Esports One came out of MIT. So MIT and Caltech, and that's where all our engineers, our engineers are in Berkeley, our computer vision engineers, Caltech, Berkeley, MIT, with all these smart minds coming together, like let's revolutionize gaming. And I came in, I was like, all right, we have this amazing, amazing thought process on becoming independent and really breaking any barrier we have into what we can build in the gaming industry. Now, what are we going to build? And what just real quick for listeners who may not know what API is, the extremely short way to think about it, it's a way that technology talks to one another so that technology can be collaborative. Yeah, it's a way for uh, a new company to be able to plug in and pull data and understand what's happening so they can sync together. And this is a, a unique question that I usually don't have the opportunity to ask. And and then I'd like to jump back to the beginning of your your journey. How do you 
brand yourself as you transition so that your professional brand stays focused rather than seeming like you're all over the place? You know, that was something I really struggled with. I really struggled with my identity my whole life until esports one was always hot point, right? I'm out. It's 24 seven. I was on the road. This is every person in my network was someone that I either met through a hot point or showed them hot point, interact with hot point. And me kind of opening my next chapter, I was kind of afraid, like, what, do, like, what do people think? Like, you know, what is this going to dilute kind of, you know, what, what I'm, what I'm all about. And it's a struggle and it's scary. It's really scary. I, I'd compare it similar. I've, I've never experienced it personally, but I, I would assume this is how it is when you like switch a job that you've been doing, you know, like a, you move to another, a new company that you've been doing for like 20 years. So as the founder of Hotpoint and that being my brand, moving over to Esports One to me felt like a very organic way of translating over and it wasn't done overnight. Um, I was working with the team for a year and being able to actually advise them, build out my network in that space, um, build almost that sort of comfort level with everyone uh, understanding, you know, being friends with all the game publishers, getting to know all the other companies in the space and all that, it felt very natural. It felt right. like it all collided. And from my experience with Hotpoint, being able to work with brands all the time and build community, that's exactly what I'm doing at Esports One. So really in my day-to-day, -day, there's no true transition as far as what I'm focused on. And now are you still an advisor at Hotpoint, but your full-time work is with Esports One or how does that work now? Exactly. So I... Any board meeting we have, I'm there to kind of like listen in at Hotpoint, usually on a phone call, and it's usually done um, on weekends or later in the evening. But during the day, it's, you know, in every other hour or waking hour of my life, it's Esports One. Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. We would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. Like I said, I have a lot of respect for you because there are just so many people that, you know, as as visionaries and idea creators, there's a difference between coming up with an idea, executing on the idea, and then executing on the idea to completion. <laughs> and, or I should say starting the idea, but then now moving on to the next one, right? And I think that how you come off as a professional and just the fluidity of the focus and drive that you have behind what you work on is so admirable. And so when did you start your your journey? You, you studied technology in school, but even before that, when do you remember that first spark you had for tech? Um, my first spark for tech was really being a student at Carnegie Mellon. The Carnegie Mellon campus is very, very unique in that everything, no matter if you're in the arts and drama department, everything revolves around tech. And everything um, has a tech component and everyone's taking CS classes, computer science, and everyone is um, speaking that same language. So I think there it really got ingrained into me. And then as that became my norm, you know, at every subscription I got, you know, to when I discovered Product Hunt, when I discovered, you know, all these other yeah, kind these of tech companies, do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and so, but really that spark happened in high school when you, uh, you said it was AP art and physics. Is that right? 
Yeah. And and that's when you're like became curious about the world. And that's what led to you applying to Carnegie Mellon. It is. It did. It did. It was um, it was their industrial design program where it kind of it's industrial design is essentially um, the design of 3D objects. So technically a computer is something you'd industrially design, but so is furniture. So what do you do with that? And um, when I got there for industrial design, I realized that we're building prototypes that in theory would work like this or would move like that. And I actually wanted to wire it and solder um, solder it all together. So it actually did the demo that um, I was describing. Did you have a mentor early on in your journey or are you all self-taught? I did. I've, I've had several mentors and I think mentors that have evolved with me. I've kind of like stumbled across new mentors for every phase and stage. Um, early on when I was just starting Hotpoint, I had one mentor that I is still a mentor to this day. And he's more so connected me with the right, taught me how to um, build my network and build my kind of army of supporters around me. And that's something that is so involved. It's been the most valuable part, I think, of any scaling and any building of any company I've had, that one skill is um, that one mentor has been one of the most, um, yeah, rewarding. Or And then was Hotpoint your first company or did you have a company before that? I feel like when you're an entrepreneur, you've had, you've had, com- you've, you've, you've like thought of ideas and your parents are like, yeah, 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 you should, yeah. you should, yeah, you should, you should hack it together since you were five. So there's been a few before that, but nothing um, that is worth mentioning. <laughs> I call, yeah, I call, I, I call some of my first companies like, uh, like my experimental companies. And then my, I built an online scuba diving shop before <gasps> having an online business was a thing. And I called that my starter business. <laughs> Oh, I love that's, that. that's the one where I learned how to do like drop shipping and ordering and build a website, but I did and customer service, but I did everything wrong. So that was like my starter business. I love that. You Mine know? was a yeah. dental kit because my dad's a dentist. I was like, I made a dental kit and a website, like you said, and I was shipping it to people and running inventory. I think I was doing like 30 orders a week. And I thought like, uh, we're baking it. We're there, guys. Yeah, like, <laughs> <totally>. We're rich. <laughs> So you build Hotpoint and then you transition into Esports One. Um, how did you define what your role would be within Esports One? Are you considered a founder now or what what is your role within Esports One? So I I came in very, very early and all the products that we have today, everything that we've built to this date, like I was part of I was involved in that process and thinking it out and all that I I'm in no way taking full credit for it. There is an incredible team that we have here. Absolutely mind blowing. And this is um, every single person that is on our team is so is so critical to actually what we've built today and the mountains we've moved and every piece that we've done here. I've actually been absolutely amazed. So I've been here early, but um, I can't take credit for it all. I think that there's so many bits and pieces that kind of shape what we are now. So what, how do you define your role? How do you, what's that conversation look like? And what is your role there today? So I am the COO and everyone touches everything. We're still, we're still rather young and I mostly um, handle or mostly kind of uh, spearhead partnerships. And that goes back to my days at Hotpoint where we had 2,500 clients that I pulled in and we built from the ground up. And these are clients like Live Nation and Hilton and Marriott and the Win and Hakkasan Group and all these guys. And now all these partnerships that I've been working with and people I've been working with that are now friends, I'm able to translate these uh, non-endemic partners into the esports space and introduce them to it. 
And so that's one of my core focuses and then building community. So anything that involves our community product we own um, and we've built several community products and we're the home collectively um, um, across all of our platforms. We're the home to 5 million um, gamers and we have to curate that community and kind of be there to build that. Would you say your superpower is relationships? Um, not personal relationships like dating, but yes, the other kind. <laughs> Amen, sister. Amen on that one. <laughs> I feel you. But, so many uh, levels. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, relationship building. Um, I'm a people person. I really enjoy it. And I really, one thing I really enjoy about being in gaming is how fresh and new it is to, I guess, the outside world and being able to be the almost translator between the the endemic crowd, which is like the gamers and the non-endemics, which can be anything from, you know, these corporate partners who are excited or intrigued by gaming now or investors um, or anyone else, even, you know, all the way down to like our parents. That's a product we're looking and we're building right now. Now that gaming is growing, how do you lower the barrier to entry, right? Like there's parents who are like, oh, the kid's playing Fort fork knife again. Like, I don't know. Um, and how do you get them to bond? How do you get them to get that experience of like what you, you know, what, what we grew up with watching football with our parents and our parents teaching us football. Like how do we teach our parents or our, you know, or the girlfriend or the boyfriend or whatever it is, like what we're doing on screen and how do you make it a collaborative and kind of, um, engaged experience or collaborative experience. So for everybody wanting to both create more relationships as a professional, as well as build community. What's one piece of advice you'd give on each front? Um, first on how to build relationships, partnerships, and then one, how to build community. So building relationships, um, my relationships are never, ever, ever fake. You cannot build a relationship if that really, if that true kind of excitement for that other person is, or brand is there. And if it's not there, don't force it. There are tons of other opportunities. There are several other people that might be working at that company you're trying to target. Don't focus on that one that, you know, gives you a bad energy or it makes you kind of not feel whole or you feel like you're trying or like it's work. Um, it has to be natural and organic. Now, for those who aren't good talkers or kind of more silent or reclusive or um, maybe more introverts, then that's fine. Don't try and be something you're not. Show that. Just be authentic and um I think if you are, regardless if you're an extrovert or introvert, say what you what you want, say what you're looking for, but don't be all about the take, right? Let them know, totally. make them aware, make them aware. You have to be straight up, right? Uh, about your ask. And so that's what I'd say about partnerships and then about community. It's all about giving more than you get out of it. And the more you can give out, the community definitely recognizes it. And we get comments from our community constantly, like, thank you for um, giving us an elevated experience that no one has done so far, especially in the space of fantasy. I love that. And you're just very smart when it comes to revenue. What's a piece of advice you can give all the listeners about what to think about when it comes to clarifying your offering? Clarifying your offering. Um, think business first as when you're deciding what you're going to build. Um, or trying to brainstorm that. I see like there's a uh, maybe more of a trend recently where it's like, oh, just build it and like funding will come and all the other yeah, stuff will come. Totally. Build a business. Make some like think about revenue first or second, but it's it's one or two, right? So that's where I'd start that conversation. And then as far as um, actually driving revenue partnerships, when you reach out, you got to come at them with 
they don't, they don't care what you want out of it. Right. You got to come out right. them. And I feel like this, this, this advice has probably been circled, but you, I always start off by researching the brand, researching the company. And I always ask, you know, we have some exciting ideas, but we want to know what your core goals are. That's one thing that I often start my conversations with because I want to know, you know, what are they trying to do? Is the is the partner company trying to acquire users? Are they trying to get, you know, more retention? Are they trying to just get exposure? Are they like what is are they trying to get specific articles out? What does it look like that is their core focus as a company? And then also one of my tricks is what is that person's core focus? Like what is that person graded on? The one that I'm talking to? How can I make that person look good? And so totally. And so understanding, you know, if you if you can be that pedestal that kind of lifts that person and in turn lifts the entire company, if they see you as a partner like that, then it doesn't matter the price tag that's associated with it. Let's make this happen. We're going to figure out a way to make it work. And that resorts back to that first comment where you got to make sure it's someone you can work with and that matches your vibe and your. So it's, it's all full circle and it's the same cycle. I love it. I love it. And um, one question, my favorite question to ask is what's one huge obstacle you've successfully overcome in your career and how did you overcome it? I would say the challenge of transitioning the two, from the two industries um, and providing clarity to my community as far as, you know, my path and why exactly. this makes sense. And, um, and I spoke about it a little bit earlier, but it's, 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 it's scary. Right. And then moving into, um, new territory and making sure that it's, it's coming across as, across as authentic as possible. And you're showing your best foot forward in that, in that way. And, uh, what's a piece of advice that has really stuck with you over the years that someone may have given you at one point in time? Growing up, it was much more quiet. I was always saying sorry. And my dad was always like, don't say sorry. Don't say sorry. Don't say sorry. Just ask for what you want for and don't, don't ask for what you want. Don't be apologetic. And I never learned it until I actually started a business. And if you're saying sorry, like they're not taking you as seriously. Just be blunt. You got to stand for what you do. You got to be unapologetic. And if you're going to say sorry about it, just think about it twice before you do, uh, before you do, do the action, right. Or do it and just be intentional in everything you do. I think that's what it maybe steers back to just being intentional. I love it. So I like to ask everybody, what is your favorite tech tool? It could be mobile app, software, hardware, what like website, just your favorite tool. So I love this question. I have lots of tools that I love, but Notion is like my go-to. It's a way to organize your everything there's it's so versatile we have our whole company's like guidebooks on there and it's in a way that's so easily searchable and all that but then i also use it in the personal man or i use it you know in a I use it in my own work when i tested out notion and i've been thinking about using notion for content planning when i tested out notion their import feature is fire Insane. oh my gosh everything about what they do it's the most intentional note-taking you know um organizational um, like planning tool we've found and we use it religiously. I use it both with the company Hotpoint now uses it. Um, any company I advise uses it or except for one of them, we're, we're, we're working on that. And then I use it personally. Sharon, thank you so much for hanging out with the women in tech podcast. Is there any last thing you wanted to say before we wrap up? Thank you for having me. If you're a gamer or you're not a gamer, go check out Esports One and our new fantasy platform. You can tweet at me and my handle is on here. Tell me what you think. And we're starting Women in Esports League. 
fantasy league. So I'm kicking that off in June and I'd love for you guys to join me. If you don't know how to play, I will teach you. Amazing. And can you spell your handle for everybody just in case? And we'll include it in the show notes as well. So it's at Sharon Winter 77. It's S-H-A-R-O-N-W-I-N-T-E-R 77. Perfect. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember, go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Takes you straight there. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hey, I'm Sharon Winter, COO and co-founder of Esports One, the fantasy esports destination based in Los Angeles, California. And you're listening to Women in Tech. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech. I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Damn Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world blows my mind and her book is insanely well written right when I picked it up I didn't want to put it down she teaches me and us how to become the asset how to be our best selves and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves but creates an abundance of opportunity for others I'm so proud to share her book with you and I hope you'll pick it up and I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turned get it's about damn time at itsaboutdamntime.com. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Miran Tikwitski. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Community spotlight coordination by Sarah Tran. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.